0: Welcome everybody to the Sales and Marketing Bill Freedom Show. I have a very special guest on with me today. I have Scott D. Clary. Scott is a career sales and marketing executive. He's rewriting the book on sales, marketing, and brand to take up market strategy from startups to enterprise. Scott's worked with execs and entrepreneurs to ten X their business. He's also sold and marketed at the most, or I should say, to the most Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. Been featured in over 100 news sites. Wow, that's cool, man. I didn't know it was that big. Speaks globally at industry conferences, has articles written in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Hacker Moon Startup, and others. Right now, he is currently running a global SaaS sales and marketing organization and is the host of the Success Story podcast, where he interviews some pretty cool people. I was just on it myself, um, and mentors and leaders as well. So, Scott, welcome, man. Happy to have you on. Uh, Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, I had ad lib during the intro a little bit. I, I, you know, I got a little excited. Because now you nailed the, it. You nailed I, it. I told, it. I told you. that. I told you podcast, to tone her yeah. down. <laughs> so uh, I know I gave a very, very high level snapshot, but can you give folks your superhero origin story on how you got to become this this media mogul that you are today?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, so you know, we were we were speaking a little bit before, but my background, my family is is not in private industry, they're not in tech, they're very traditional, safe, um, safe jobs. So most of my family's in law enforcement, um, you know, through to my grandfather, my dad, my uncle, uh, my mom worked for a university uh, for the majority of her career, which wasn't taking care of me and my brother. Um, so, you know, the path for me was police, potentially lawyer, that was the undergrad, uh, the only reason why I went into tech is because I started working for Bell Canada when I was still just finishing high school, going into university, and I was making more money uh, in sales than anybody else, except for the people that were maybe working at bars and nightclubs because they were they were making a ton of cash too, and oh, yeah. they weren't they weren't getting taxed, but still, I was doing pretty good for uh, you know an entry level job, and. I guess I just, I, I saw the money. I was, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I was good at it. I was always very technical. I, I, I really nerd out hard at a lot of stuff and it just, it, it came naturally to me because at that point, you know, you don't know any sales strategy. It's just the person that's the most charismatic and and knows the stuff, the, the best and can explain it to people. They end up selling uh, the most. So that was kind of me. And then uh, as I went through university, I eventually moved into a call center for Bell uh, in sales in small business, and then moved to larger, larger markets also for Bell. Um, so I worked for Bell for about, uh, about eight, nine years, all in sales, um, all moving through larger markets after university as well. Um, made good money there, you know, hit, hit president's club a couple of years, went, w- traveled Mexico, went to a nice trip, Monaco, like some, some great okay. president's club trips too. Um, and I guess, you know, it was, my thought was, okay, let me see, let me see what I can do. Let's, let's see what kind, of, what kind of damage I can do in tech sales. And if I can do well, then I won't have to worry about the pension. I won't have to worry about, you know, potentially going back to school for another four years for law. And um, after, after you know, my, my tenure at Bell, I went into uh, another company, so another smaller telco, another smaller telecom. And I tell, in telco, you sell a variety of services. You sell hardware, software, you know, recurring services from the consumer end all the way through to the more complex like business mm-hmm. setups and systems. Um, moving to another telco, originally brought on as an enterprise rep. The guy who hired me left almost immediately, so I moved into uh, basically my first ever leadership role in my career at that company because I was the most senior person there, um, and that and that I was selling to uh, Porsche, Berkshire Hathaway, all telco stuff, um, nice. Brinks, uh, like big, big, large enterprise companies. It was a lot of fun, a lot of complex products, a lot of complex implementations, longer sales cycles, maybe between. You know, we had smaller customers, but all the some sales cycles were like you know like six months, nine months. Um, after after working there, that company was actually bought by private equity. Uh, I left when they were bought by private equity. Um, went out because I thought that I was you know God's gift to sales and tech. I thought I could do my own thing. Uh, decided to go into consulting first on my own trying to cons- like figure out how to c- consult with companies and sort of teach them what I've learned in enterprise sales and sales leadership up to this point. Um, didn't do so well on my own, partnered with two people. We built a fairly good, good you know, annual recurring revenue. Uh, we were almost hitting a million in year one in terms of consulting revenue, fractional CXO work. Um, we were We got a really good contract at the University of Toronto in Canada There's a startup incubator there uh, called Creative Destruction Labs. We were working with um, uh, basically the the cream of the crop, you know, startups that were going through this incubator, working with them on their their take to market strategy, all very technical founders. So um, acting as like a fractional CMO almost for a lot of these companies, uh, landed some good consulting deals with, you know, some were shorter, some were longer. Um, it, It was a lot of great experience. Uh, a lot of great entrepreneurial lessons. Uh, I learned really quickly that I didn't love, you know, I didn't really love the the spot I was in, just because we had set it up so that all of our stuff was transactional, it was all project based. So you you know you sell your soul for forty hours a week to a company for six months. And when you're done fulfilling those 40 hours a week and executing on whatever they need help, they need your help executing on, then you have to, after hours, find more clients, build your brand, post on social, you know, write a blog. It was like not easy. So, um, you know, we, we closed that up. Everybody, funny enough, me and the two other people I was working with, we all went back to work for somebody <laughs> after trying to do our own thing at consulting. Um, and I was also there first their foray into consulting as well. Um, so anyway, so I I went back to work. Uh, I actually went back to work with the company that eventually led to where I'm at now. So I worked with a company called Excitem. Um, they sold software products to broadcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was brought on to basically bring their products. to to market through uh, a company called Grass Valley. They had an exclusivity agreement. Um, So I was responsible for taking all software products through Grass Valley's 100-person sales force. Um, We were a dev shop. Grass Valley was a hardware manufacturer. We didn't have a sales force. They didn't have software experience, so it was a good match. And about a month and a half, we were officially acquired after growing pretty, we, were, we we grew quite aggressively for the past two years. And right now where I'm sitting outside of the side hustle podcast that you mentioned, um, I'm a director at Grass Valley, basically running most of the SaaS development, SaaS sales, SaaS marketing, and just sort of advising on some other stuff as they try and modernize their business. But that's where I'm at right now. So the best way to think about it is like leading an innovation unit within a much larger company. We're a f- small fraction of them, but the, you know, we're trying to sort of Uh, revolutionize the way they do business and change the way they've been, not change the way they do business, but change some of the products they've sold traditionally for the past 60 years. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. So I have a very small dedicated sales team, very heavy developer team. And then um, we have, you know, Grass Valley's global workforce, which is about hundred sales reps, 400 channel partners and Grass Valley does about 600 million in revenue per year. So that's my career story. And then all the other side hustly stuff, which is the podcast. I write a newsletter. Um, and that's all a lot of fun too.
0: That's great, man. I mean, really, really interesting story. Just kind of how you, you went through from like, like when we, we talked about this a little bit, similar upbringings, right. From a a police family, you know, very safe, safe thing to go. And then you you've done a lot. I mean, in school, man, you, you've done, entrepreneur things, intrapreneur. Yeah. It sounds like you're an entrepreneur slash entrepreneur now. Yeah. Um, and then on top of it, you've been a sales leader. So really, really diverse background. I love it, man. So what would you say like for you, like all those diverse, I mean that diversity of experiences, like what's, what would you say is kind of like your ninja skill? Cause you, you've had a lot of different mm, Yeah. exposure.
1: I would say, I would say my, my ninja skill Uh, first is understanding the importance of sale and marketing alignment and congruence. And that's something that, okay, at a surface level, it seems obvious, but then you really dive, you dive in deep and you realize that a lot of companies have disjointed sales and marketing business units. And then uh, layered on top of that is, uh, I think my ninja skill at understanding how to create massive amounts of content and turning any organization into a media company in and of its own, building a community, around the content that a person or a brand puts out and then building, you know, the, the marketing engine of, of tomorrow, which is in my opinion, content education uh, it's, it's just being helpful and, and showing up and getting attention 24, uh, seven, 365, whether or not you're a brand or a person and uh, then aligning that with your sales strategy, with your outreach strategy. But, you know, if you think about, what I think about like the person I sort of like, look, I look to as the leader in, in content marketing and demand generation is Mark Roberge from HubSpot. The guy who brought HubSpot to IPO, he was their CRO, one of their first employees. And he, he was basically the one who engineered this content strategy between the blog posts and the content and the social and all this stuff that developed enough demand to scale HubSpot to to where it is today, and I think that that demand gen coupled with a really strong smart outbound playbook is really how companies win. But most companies, as you're a sales guy, most companies uh, they focus on the outbound. They don't get the the demand gen. They don't get the marketing piece of it. And I have a whole bunch of thoughts on that. But that's sort of like my my ninja skill that I've you know used with my company. I've used it with myself for my, for my brand, you know, the podcast, that's how you, that's how we ran into each other. Um, so that's sort of my thing.
0: Love it, man. So much fire there. So we are <laughs> going to dig deep. I'm going to hit you on both of those, man. I'm going to hit cool. you on both the Ninja skills. So let's hit, they hit the first one on the sales and marketing alignment, because that is an often discussed topic at the surface level. but I haven't seen it discussed in in depth uh, substantially in a lot of places, you know? So, so what do you mean by that? Define that. And then let's talk about, you know, how you would kind of implement a strategy and execution process to make that a reality.
1: So first I think it has to do with your first 50 customers. So I think that when somebody's selling a new product, you start a new business, you sell a new product, you have to find your first 50 customers. Uh, I think the person, the product owner, the entrepreneur should find those first 50 customers, find that product market fit, and then after they found that product market fit, build out a customer profile, build out a buyer persona, and then give that to a marketer or somebody that can develop demand against that uh, customer profile or buyer persona, and then that's when you have your leads coming in. Now that's the first step. So you have marketing define your ICP and your buyer persona. It's not coming from the sales side yet. So now you have your demand gen coming, you have your leads coming in, you have your profiles. Now you have a sales leader that's going to understand those profiles. They're going to understand they have leads coming in. They're going to build an outbound sequence that matches the ICP and the BP that your marketing has already bought into and is is already marketing to. So now that you have your marketing collateral being targeted against this ICP and this buyer persona. Then you have your outbound sales messaging, your emails that are going out, your LinkedIn messages. Obviously you're targeting the same ICP buyer persona, the marketing collateral that you're putting out. You have your ICP your buyer persona. Let's, I don't want to go into a huge thing about what those are, but you know, your customer profile say you're selling to uh, ad tech companies and you're selling to a CMO and ad tech company. Okay. So you have your ICP your buyer persona, and I know that CMOs are usually struggling with, you know, XYZ business pain points. So now those XYZ business pain points should drive m- the majority of the marketing collateral that you're putting out. You're answering the questions that, 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 that persona is asking that that persona is searching for. And that's where, that's, what's going to go into your social. That's what's going to go. That's what your webinars are going to be about. That's what your uh, that's what the content on your blogs are going to be about. They're going to be You know, literally titled the blogs on your website will be how to solve problem X, Y, Z. And you know where that problem is coming from, because that's that's what your customer is inquiring about is trying to solve for. So that's your marketing tied to your personas. And then your sales is doing the same thing. So your sales is using a personalized outbound. But at the end of the day, they still understand that they should be targeting those same profiles and solving for the pain that marketing is advertising for. So when they get into the discussions, because now you have that alignment, you have people talking. So the pain that marketing is advertising to is the same pain that sales reps are discussing on the phone, on their discovery, on those demo calls. So you don't have, this is just one way. Of course, there's multiple things that marketing and sales do all the time that they have to have alignment on, but just having similar discussions in both business units so that when... Uh, let's use that example. Ad tech CMO does research on a company and they, they find my company's website because I wrote a great blog post and the keywords are right and they stumbled upon my company's website. They do a little bit of research and they like what they're seeing. They see the products, see the features. Now they want to book a demo. They should be having the exact same discussion with that SDR, with that inside sales rep that mimics the information that they've seen on the company website, that mimics the information they've seen on the company's social media. So you have if you if you create the personas, if both departments are congruent on the creation of the personas, then the messaging going out in in the marketing and the sales units will be congruent, will be aligned. And that's when you have the best possible customer experience. Um, So that's one really easy way. And then it's not a con, it's not like a set it and forget it. So after you have that initial alignment, you have your marketing exec and your sales exec constantly feeding information to each other. So you're constantly updating that persona. You're constantly bringing feedback. Your VP marketing is listening to your ISR or your SDR's calls. Like they're they're getting that feedback directly from the other business units. So they're never operating in a silo ever. And also they have to, like, there should be outside of just the small little actions they should take, there should be some sort of scheduled one-on-one between the VP marketing, VP sales, Mm -hmm. a weekly or a bi-weekly one-on-one where they're having, and and they block an hour. To discuss the lessons they've learned. And even if there's, even if they don't think there's anything new, if they just talk about the, you know, they all will have one-on-ones with their own respective reps. If they just speak about those one-on-ones, there's things that are going to be uncovered. There's things that have come up on a customer conversation. There was a comment on the Facebook page that came up about this particular feature about what this rep said. And just blocking off that time and forcing the conversation is at a bare minimum, how you're gonna have at least some level of congruence. And I think that that's really, really important. And, and it doesn't diminish in importance if your organization grows, because that, that is also an issue. You see that you'd lose that congruence as the organization goes, as, as the organization grows. But I think that's something that you really have to maintain. So that's my, hopefully that's a few
0: little uh, tactical insights yeah, for I, I sales and marketing that, yeah. alignment. Hello, and I appreciate you listening to the show today. I love my listeners, and I love helping my customers. One of the things that I've been able to do with some of the customers that I've been working with is, for example, a $6 million SaaS company helped them implement a seven-figure sales system in which they got a -a one-and-a-half-month ROI on the entire engagement fee that I offered them, by one person spending 25% of their time. And this person wasn't even in sales. So these are core principles that helped me scale from zero to $30 million in annual recurring revenue with only four people. In addition, another client that I'm working with was able to 10X their licensing fee, their SaaS licensing fee, um, and they are really, really just on the early side of starting. So if you're interested in learning more, apply through www io forward slash apply, www.scalerevenue.io forward slash apply. Look forward to seeing your application. If you are interested in qualify, we'll receive a follow-up note and we can jump on the phone and identify what the opportunity is exactly for you and your organization. I think you crushed it. I mean, it's it's simplistic in nature, but critical and a lot of people don't do it. You know, I mean, it's yeah, part of its communication um, consistency with that communication. And then, you know, what I love is that it's, it's problem solution yeah. and then consistent messaging, yeah. you know, inbound yeah. and outbound and and all the way down to the script level of what people are saying when they say it and how they say it. Right. So uh, I think, that's you, great. you know, it seems
1: simple. And, you know, for some people that live in an organization where it's a priority, it would be simple but I see, I'll, so I worked for Bell. So it, whatever it is, what it is. I, I just saw an article the other day where uh, a guy got three door-to-door sales reps trying to sell him on telco services, offering him one deal that he recorded it. He recorded all three reps <laughs> pitching him the same deal. He calls in, he can't get the deal. Like that's the stuff that kills a trust with a, with a company, with a, with a customer, excuse me, that kills any sort of credibility that your organization has. So if a company, the size of bell, it's fortune, you know, fortune 500, if I'm not mistaken, uh, bare minimum fortune 1000, uh, they're not doing it. Then I can guarantee a lot of other large and small organizations are not doing it. So, oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you, you hit it on the head. I mean, um, uh, yeah. I, I think that's awesome. So let's, let's move on. Cause I, I want to hit the second one too. Yeah, you know? let's do so, it. Let's do it. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the mean green content machine. So talk us through that a little bit on what you meant by that in terms of creating content at scale uh, yeah. consistently and effectively.
1: So the reason why I think every company should be a media company um, is because when I first spoke about, how to set up your, the marketing side of your business. I spoke about finding your persona, your profile and developing content that ties to that. Um, I think that to be an effective marketer, you have to take advantage of every single channel that your company could possibly show up on. Mm -hmm. Because if we even look at how people buy, we know that, you know, depending on the stats, 60, 70, 80, 90% of the information gathered before somebody even gets in touch with a rep. So I do think that for a company to be effective, you have to be showing up across all social channels, all non-social channels uh, all the time. And to do that, you need an effective content strategy that is educational, helping your buyer, not promotional, all educational. So you need a reliable educational content strategy. So the most simple thing that I preach about when it comes to reliable educational content strategy is you want to be answering questions that your buyer has, and you want to be taking and capturing that content and you want to be disseminating it across all all your social channels. So how do you do that? Well, the easiest way uh, is it's been, you know, championed by a few different people, but the strategy where you have a long form piece of content that's educational in nature, you break that up into blog post, YouTube video, podcast, that's your 60 minute piece. Then you break it up even further into a four, you know, two to four minute piece that goes on Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, you know, you break it even further down into like a 60 second piece that can go onto uh, Twitter. It can go onto TikTok if you want to try that. You get some short little clips. Um, you can, you know, break it down to 30 seconds. You go on to YouTube Shorts, Reels. Uh, You go to LinkedIn stories, um, you know, Snapchat spotlights, you have a content creation machine. As long as all the content that you just created, that you just chopped up from that one main first piece. If that one main first piece is educational in nature. If that one main first piece is for example, say an interview between, you know, one executive on the company and a CMO Uh, that fits the profile that you're trying to sell to. And you're asking questions that other CMOs would care about. Then all the derivatives of that, of that content will be useful for that CMO for that CMO profile. And it's just across all your social channels now. And you just keep doing that. So you need, you need to show up all the time. You need to win the war of attention on social. And, um, and I think that it just comes down to finding that content strategy that, is, is scalable, is, is replicable and doesn't exhaust all your resources. And then the one I just mentioned is I think the easiest way to do it.
0: Yeah. I, I love that. Um, I, I, and and that's something that I'm working on now too, you know, cause I, I see you do a great job of this. You're, you're all over the place and, yeah, and you recycle, I don't recycle. Maybe sounds like a bad word. Re, reuse, repurpose content. Yeah, repurpose. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I guess what I would say is, conceptually the pillar piece of content and then repurpose it. Let's take it one step further. So how do you mechanically implement that? Let's say you're a founder and don't have a lot of resources and you're like, Hey, I want to create my one, you know, pillar piece of content. Let's say one a week, right? Let's keep it simple for an hour. Um, how would you go about repurposing that across the platforms to, to get that exposure for them?
1: Sure. So I'll walk through the strategy that I have because that's, that's the, obviously I use it, you know, eat my own dog food. I use it on myself and my own brand. So I think that's something that works really well. Um, So first, if I was a founder, you know, again, it all comes down to targeting. So you got to figure out who are you selling to? And then once you figure out who you're selling to, what questions does that group of people that you're selling to have? And then that's the questions and that's the content you're going to create. So now I figured out who I'm selling to. I have my questions that I need to answer. Now I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start a podcast. It's going to interview people that is emblematic of the person that I'm selling to. So, you know, again, that ad tech CMO that we first spoke about, I'm going to interview a hundred different ad tech CMOs and on those podcasts, those 30 to 40 minute podcasts, I'm asking them these questions, these, these keyword optimized questions that I know are going to drive traffic, but they're also questions that other ad tech CMOs want to know the answer to. Obviously that, you know, it depends on what industry you're going to be looking for. The every, the content is going to change. The questions are going to change. Right. Once you have that pillar piece of content, Like I said, that, that, that pillar piece of content will go into a podcast RSS feed. I use podcast.co as a podcast aggregating tool. You can use any, you can use Libsyn. um, uh, My God, there's like a million and one podcast aggregating tools. Uh, There's sounder.fm. There's uh, Castos or something. Anyway, Google podcast aggregating tool. There's free ones. There's paid ones. Pick whatever you want. As long as you get something up there, that's what matters first. So you have YouTube video and you have podcast. Now, if you want to take it a step further, uh, you maybe want to turn that uh, vi- you want to turn that video into a blog post. So you can do that a few ways. You can uh, create show notes for the podcast, or you can actually write a blog post. If you want to summarize the ideas, uh, you can use a tool called Descript or otter.ai that transcribes the whole. Podcast with timestamps, and then you can use that to write a, a blog post on on the topic you discuss. You can obviously frame it as an interview, which would be great because you'll probably get reshared uh, by the person who you interviewed. Or you can just write a thought leader piece on whatever main topics you discuss, and you can sort of you know do like a, a, a not an interview piece, so so to speak. So now you have a blog post. Um, you can also another outlet I didn't even discuss you're asking all these questions in this show, Uh, take the answers to those questions. And now those are answers to Quora questions that people are asking and drive drive traffic from Quora by answering those questions on Quora with the content that you literally just got from this podcast. So now you have YouTube podcast blog Quora. Okay. So let's keep going. So you want to take that podcast, you want to break it down into say like a, say a two minute clip because that goes across most social channels without being cut off. Um, I take that. I take it into Premiere. There, there are free video editing softwares that you can use. I use Premiere. Um, I clip it and I find a sound bite and I clip it. If I don't want to watch the whole thing, I usually go back to the transcript and scan quickly for what I want, find that timestamp, and then easily go and clip it. I have a now two minute clip. I want to optimize that for social media. And to do that, um, I need to have some sort of design. I need to have subtitles because those things work well. They're, they're attention grabbing on social media. So I use an iPhone app. Uh, I've used a lot of different ones, but the one I use is Vemly, V-E-M-E dot L-Y. That creates automatic subtitles. It lets, you, it lets you put the video into like the nice social clip. You've seen the Gary Vaynerchuk social media style clip. That's what it does for that. Um, and then I also create a header in Canva cause I, you can actually create a header in, in Venly, but I like the, I like the ability to create a little bit more of a, I don't know, an artistic header in Canva, download that, bring it into Vemly, And then you go to my social, you, any of my posts on my Instagram, that's the process that I've used to create them. Um, and then you can create, you know, the, the the square social post you can create the uh 1080 by 1920 like Instagram TV social posts. if they're over 60 seconds um i export that it takes me you know between after you down after you record the you know the 40 minute show i would say it takes me about 30 minutes to create i don't know 5 to 10 different social pieces wow. from that podcast Cause I have, I've done it like a lot. Cause I get, right. I, but it's like, now it's, you know, it's like muscle memory at this point, but like it really, you have your process, you have your tools. You're just like download, cut, export, upload, you know, automatic subtitles, go into Canva. I have my template in Canva. I download the the title and bring it in. Like, it's really not that long to do it. And then I have, you know, that, that two minute piece would be LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, You could upload it to YouTube as a podcast clip. Um, and then you do, you would do the same thing, uh, sub 60 seconds or sub 30 seconds. If you want to hit Instagram reels, if you want to hit TikTok, if you want to hit YouTube shorts, LinkedIn stories, uh, and then, uh, Snapchat, uh, spotlight. So it's just about breaking it down. And, and once you really, once you're comfortable quickly breaking it down and you have your, your workflow in place and your process in place, uh, you can easily create this incredible content again that stemmed from that one 40-minute piece that is answering questions that your buyer absolutely cares about, and you just you—that's your social content. It's not a stupid quote. It's not like uh, you know. It's not. It's it's not like you're posting about your product. Which, whenever I market anything, it's like 90 percent, 95 percent of your marketing should be educational. Like maybe five percent can be promotional or product oriented because no one really cares about your product. Like if they cared about your product, they'd already be your customer. Marketing is not about converting people that are already your customer. Maybe you want to sell them a little bit more. Maybe you want to re, you know, reaffirm the people that have already bought from you, but realistically for marketing, you want to bring in new people that haven't ever heard about you. Haven't ever heard about your product, especially if you don't have brand recognition. So be educational, be helpful. And that's how you do it.
0: Love that, man. So, write that down if you didn't, or look at the show notes because in the show notes we got that with uh, we'll have all the links of the yeah, the uh, of, of what Scott mentioned, different tools. So, uh, write that down you know, the sales and market alignment, the content machine, the Scott Clary content machine strategy, if you will, <laughs> which is priceless. So, I, I think that's beautiful, man. And you absolutely crushed it. One of the things that you said that, that I was thinking as you it jumped down at me is the optimized keyword questions. And I think you said words that, that your customers are looking for. Do you use a tool like ask the public or something like that? I do use I ask think. the public. I do use ask do the you? public.
1: Yeah, yeah, I actually do. No way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That,
0: so, that's something I've heard about, but I haven't dug into a lot. So you like that tool to kind of get the questions that your customers are looking for.
1: Yeah. So it's a super simple tool. So go to askthepublic.com. You just type in a keyword and it'll show you the top searched queries for that keyword. And those can be the questions you ask on your podcast. Like, obviously you have to like massage them a little bit, but I mean, like you know what people are looking for. So it's the same. It's like any, anybody who's a marketer who's listening to this, it'll resonate because that's how you write blog posts like that's how you title a blog post. You want to title the blog post in line with a query that somebody's looking for a high search volume query because that's how you're going to drive traffic. Google will look for keywords in your post of course as other elements to SEO. But if you have a title that isn't searched, Google's not going to point people towards your article. So that's that's half of SEO but that's the thing like There's SEO across your social media. There's SEO. Google is, uh, YouTube is the second largest search engine. So if you notice that even when I upload my podcast clips, I break down. So I have a, now I have a, a video editor. I used to do it all myself, but now I have a video editor and he breaks down my podcast into every single question that I ask the guest. And I upload every single clip titled with the question, literally the question that I'm asking. So every single Uh, Every single little small clip that I upload to YouTube is, you know, how do you do this? Or how do you do, or how do you build this? Or how did you, or or what's a good piece of advice for entrepreneurs? Or how did you grow, you know, this business or just very question oriented titles, because not all of them are going to hit, but if you phrase it as a question, that's how Google usually directs people to content. So that's always a good idea.
0: Brilliant, man. I love it. Uh, which, so which, which platform, let's say for, what, what, I guess I'll just ask generically. I mean, what platform do you see the most success with in deploying that strategy in terms of the most feedback, uh, growth, business oper- let's start with business opportunities. Let's go straight mm-hmm. to revenue, man. What do, what do you think are the best for, yeah. for creating revenue from, from that strategy?
1: I think LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn, because all your buyers are there. Targeting's there. Um, if you can build a good brand on LinkedIn, you have first degree access to every decision maker. Like right now I have first degree access to every decision maker in North America. It doesn't matter what job I work or what, what product I want to sell. I can quite literally just message anybody. And that's not even an email. That's just because I built out a LinkedIn network. Right? So I would say LinkedIn for B2B for the majority of B2B people that are listening. um, That's one thing that you should really focus on. Now, if you're just going to talk about most effective social media for non-B2B, just for general social media, the only channel that I see effectively flow into other channels, meaning if you have a large presence on this channel, every other channel sort of gets a little bump is YouTube. I don't know why that is, but I do not see LinkedIn audiences carrying to Twitter. I don't see Facebook audiences carrying to YouTube. I don't see Instagram advice, you know, and so on and so forth. But I do see people that build out YouTube followings because I think it's also because you're putting yourself out there. There's video; it's personal. People feel like they know you. They'll go and find your other social channels. You can find somebody that has a million Twitter followers and nothing on any other social. But if you do find somebody that has a million YouTube followers, you will see a significant following on all their other social channels. So something to be said for putting out a video.
0: Yeah, no, that I mean that's that's strong, man. Very, very strong. So I love all the actionable advice that you gave tons. I hope tons. I got enough. <laughs> <laughs> tons of gold, year, that... man. You cool, crushed cool. it. Absolute, cool. absolute fire. Like the, the blue background light, all the content you just <laughs> dropped, man. And it was, it was awesome. So, Good. so, um, so we're, we're getting close on time and about to wrap this up. So where can people find you? How can they learn more about you? And um, let's take it from there.
1: Yeah. So, um, I have, I have a site. So scottdclary.com, uh, all my social is at scottdclary and the podcast is successstorypodcast.com.
0: which is a great, great podcast and keep doing what you you're doing, it. man. You're doing a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of amazing work. You do awesome job of, of creating content. And, uh, I got some notes down. That's the things I'm going to implement. So cool. appreciate you having you I really, really appreciate having you on. It was, uh, awesome to get to know you better after seeing you online and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Cheers, brother. Thank you. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I want to ask you is if you really, truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, Please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career-changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.